Last week, last episode, we talked about prayer. We are in a series called Linked 2.0. And in Linked 2.0, what we're doing is looking at ways that we can connect to God and then stay connected to God. How do we do that? So we talked uh, quickly about uh, a prayer practice that uh, in, in common language we would say it, it's a way of uh, slow, meditative reading. But in, in fancier language, it's Lectio Divina. We talked about the story of Daniel. We got part of one of his stories there and his practice of prayer. We looked into Paul and Silas in a moment for them where they were in prison. We learned that one thing that we can do, one prayer technique that you might not consider besides the meditative reading would be to preach to yourself. That is a way to go back through history, to look at what God has done, to pull those things consciously back into our minds, to take the history of them and put them into our own heads, and then to remind ourselves. We say, preach to yourself. And then we saw Paul and Silas in prison praying and singing. So today, uh, we're going to continue with that, and prayer is more uh, diverse. It's more nuanced than, than what we frequently consider. Uh, that's more what we, you've heard over your time. You go, eyes closed, hands folded, down on your knees. Let's pray. That's what prayer looks like. But prayer can uh, be practiced in many forms, and it can be quite fluid as you can move between forms and putting them together. And that's part of what we're going to talk about. That's part of what we're doing. That's part of why we're going back to prayer school. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do some prayer teaching today. So the way that you approach God and prayer makes an enormous dis- difference on how you're going to move forward. So let me put some calm in and set a tone right as we get started again. Last episode, the calm came from recognizing that moving forward in prayer is not just about working harder, praying longer, and praying earlier. Now, today's place of grace When the Scripture says, do not fear or fear not, when it says, don't be anxious about anything, it isn't a command but an invitation. It's a wooing into a relationship of love because love casts out fear. It isn't a demanding, angry voice shaming us for our failures, for fearing something. It's a Father letting us know we are loved. Don't worry. Fear not. Fear not. So let your prayers draw you into the depth of understanding. Pray with God and not so much for God. He's not awaiting to critique your efforts, but He's waiting to meet you personally exactly as you are where you are. So a couple of forms of prayer that I'm going to offer you today. The first one is written prayer. And so for many of us, prayer is on a long list of things that we should do, but rarely get around to doing. Somewhere right around the checking the air pressure in our tires. Maybe you uh, heard a story that caught your attention once, or perhaps there was a, a convicting sermon that you heard, and you decided it's time to be more intentional about prayer i got to set aside some time. And so we search out a quiet place. We close our eyes and, you know, fold our hands because that's what prayer is. And then nothing. Dear God, help me to connect with you. Please give me focus. Oh, look, a bird. Squirrel! And our mind wanders. 
right? It goes in every different direction. When you finally haul your focus back to God, you've thought in your mind, now I really have to do this. But forcing it tends to push us into prayers that are kind of empty platitudes and prayer phrases, churchy cliches, and things that other people have said that you say, and just saying different names of God over and over again. And C.S. Lewis referred to this kind of prayer as wide and shallow puddles, lacking any real value. So with outcomes like that, the desire fades away again rather quickly. And if that has been one of your experiences, here is an option that might just help you out and give you a sense of progress and some spiritual vitality. It's not a magic trick, though, and it doesn't work for everybody all the time, whatever work means, but I like to vary my approaches personally. I like variety in almost everything in life, and so prayer is no different. Some Christians think that uh, prayer has to always be spontaneous. Um, The thought of using Uh, someone else's prayers or someone else's words, you think, oh, that's inauthentic. It's false. It's, It's halfway. And writing prayers or using the written prayers of others can be two new possibilities for you to put into your prayer life. Take time to work it out through. Choose your words, your expressions. Choose them carefully. Or use the Psalms. Or use the Lord's Prayer or some of the prayers that have been compiled in prayer books that have been used for generations in many church traditions. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Ten, your kingdom done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Eleven, give us today our daily bread. Twelve, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus taught his followers to recite his prayer, not because he didn't didn't value their authenticity or or their heartfelt prayer, but because he knew that his followers needed more guidance, like me, maybe like you too. Don't be embarrassed by that. Be thankful for the kindness in the gift. The Lord's Prayer is like the framing of a house. It provides the basic outline, structure for how to think about God and how to commune with Him. You build on it. These prayers aren't intended to be robocalls to God, but ma- or not magical incantations, but they're rather like maps that guide our minds to go where our minds would not wander if you left them to themselves. Because, you know, it's it's unlikely that any of Jesus' um, Jewish followers would have ever thought to address God as our Father. I mean, that that just wasn't a part of their, their Jewish prayer tradition. In the same way, it is unlikely for me and probably for you to reflect on and let alone confess sins of omission were it not for the line from a famous daily prayer, Most Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Now, you you, you take a frame like that and you can springboard your prayer into an interaction with the Spirit of God, prompting you and then you responding. How does this, uh, God, what are you saying to me? How should I do it? So to be clear, don't confuse spontaneity with authenticity. 
participate and practice with heartfelt prayer, heartfelt devotion, using structured prayer. They're not opposites. Structured, uh, written prayers, they can guide us into deeper waters of communion with God and out of the puddles. Second kind, unexpected, singing. Last episode, we looked at a story about Paul and Silas being beaten, uh, thrown into prison in the middle of the night as their feet are in the stocks. You you stop and think about where they are. I can only imagine the misery of their circumstances. You know, they're naked, they're beaten, they're chained, they're imprisoned, and all of that misery is mixed with the anticipation that the next day is going to be busy with a whole lot of badness also. It's a heavy burden. And honestly, I have no idea what I would do if I was in those circumstances. i got no idea whatsoever. That's what makes their response so odd. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I would understand fully if they were moaning and complaining to God. You know, why God? We were doing good things. We were working for you, man. We were doing good things for you. Isn't this what you called us to do? Why have you abandoned us? Or maybe even crying out and pleading with God, God, save us from this unjust, immoral, wicked darkness. Set us free from this oppressive regime that we could do your work. We could return to doing your work. I understand all of that. I got no problem understanding all of that. But singing? That strikes us in the 21st century as being strange. It's weird because we associate singing with positivity, joyfulness, celebration, maybe even a little bit of that seven dwarves, you know, whistle while you work. What was there to celebrate about being beaten and thrown in jail? And in our minds, we see that singing and praying are two separate and distinct acts. Prayer is what we need to do when we need something from God, right? And singing is what we do after He grants it. We've been taught to associate prayer with petition and singing with praise. But that kind of separation and distinction is a far, far more recent development. Limiting singing to just joyful expression is a nasty trait that we've developed in consumeristic religion, sort of peddling in positivity. But the Bible has a a much larger version of why we sing. So throughout history, and certainly in the time of Jesus, singing was a means of lament uh, and, and even complaint and not merely praise. So take, for example, the book of Psalms. There's a whole book of them there, right? This was the ancient prayer book, the song book for ancient Israel. The, the, the Psalms are a collection of prayers that were sung to God. Some were joyful, some were full of celebration, but others are more expressions of misery. There's confession, there's doubt, there's grief, there's anger. So we should not understand Paul and Silas praying and singing in prison as two separate acts of petition and then praise. Instead, they are two expressions of the same desire, and that is to connect with God amid their suffering. Their singing was an act of prayer. They were linked. So that scene in Acts chapter 16 reminds us that sometimes singing like prayer is a discipline, not just a happy response. 
We don't always sing in response to God's action, but sometimes in anticipation of it. So here's another way for us to practice, to manifest, to live out our trust in God and through prayer, like singing. So at midnight, their feet are in stock, their bodies are aching, their judgment is looming. Paul and Silas needed hope, and they longed for God's intervention. They longed for God's interactions, and they sang to shift their focus from their pain to God's presence and to create space for Him to act within them. We all face midnights of the soul, when our circumstances are dark, when our hearts become cold towards God, when we do not feel like singing at all, thank you very much, and when we cannot form the words to pray, and that is precisely when we ought to sing and allow the words of a songwriter or a psalmist to guide our hearts back towards communion with God. Take the help that's given. In the darkness, we begin with our voices and allow our hearts to follow as deep cries out to deep. Third kind, structured. Structured prayer can change, uh, perspe- uh, change our perspective. Here's a prayer that you might pray daily. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and, I, I, and we pray that you will give us a new heart and a new mind. Heal the sick, help the needy, uplift the fallen, free those in bondage, guide us in our going out and our coming in until that day when we see you face to face, until that day, may we be true to you. In ancient Israel, the normal practice was to set aside regular times for prayer in the morning, at midday, and the evening. Daniel, the story that we told last episode, he used this prayer outline while captive in Babylon, and that's what landed him in the lion's den. And we started that story last episode, and uh, I told you that you should read it, and now I've kind of partially spoiled the surprise, so I hope you read it. But if you haven't, it's Daniel 6. Go in there, get all the details, all the information about what happened with Daniel and the lions. The Jewish practice of praying at three intervals during the day became common. History just shows this is what it was, and the church uh, picked it up, and then we called it the offices of prayer. And it's a helpful step towards Paul's call for us to pray without ceasing. How often have the tasks of my day, your day, rushed at me like a pack of wild animals, and in a matter of seconds, I'm carried away by the stampede. No idea how I'd plan to start. But by stopping at regular intervals during the day, pausing my work, offering a few minutes, a few moments to open the book in book form or digital form and pray, I refocus my mind and soul towards God rather than towards the less urgent matters of my day. It's a valuable way to gain some perspective in our frenetic, always-in-a-hurry society. It's a way to stay linked. It's a way to adjust the weights of the day and to regain that sense of partnership to, in facing whatever it is that I'm called to face in that day. In joining with thousands of years of previous travelers on the path, we are reminded that we also are not alone. We're not the first ones here. We're not alone. People have been here before. They spot this desiring communion with God idea. We are actually all one family, one household of faith with the same God and Father of all. And sometimes this kind of a thought helps to lift me out of some of my loneliness at the individualism that haunts our culture 
and distorts many expressions of Christianity to always be alone. Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing on the, in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Six, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Prayer is not how we control God. So written prayers or pre-written prayers, they carry many benefits, deep benefits. They guide our wandering minds and they help us to focus on God. They instruct us to think rightly about our Lord with a depth that we often lack. They can also remind us that our communion with God is never to be a flippant or irreverent act, but one that embraces that paradox of His proximity close to me, with me now, and His distance, His transcendence. And there's a big error that using written prayers may unknowingly cause. Those who have a highly uh, transactional view of prayer may view written prayers as incantations or magic spells that when spoken force God to act on your behalf. The error is not in the prayer itself, but it's in the way that the person views the prayer and the way that they view God. God is not a divine vending machine that just sort of requires the exact prayer change so that He can now dispense all of our whims and all of our desires. Prayer is not how we control God or how we win His favor. And this is what differentiates Christianity from so many other religious rituals. Many religious practices approach God superstitiously, and they assume that God can be controlled, manipulated if the right technique is employed or if the proper words are uttered in the proper way. They see Him as a machine to be operated or a natural force to be harnessed like wind in a sail. People like the idea of secret languages or verbal codes. Even the idea of the meditative, slow-reading Christian prayer that we talked about last episode goes way more viral when you talk about it as the Lectio Divina. We like the, you know, the hand movements, right? Special coded words like Dr. Strange, or perhaps finished off by the pounding of a magic staff on the ground. I'm looking at you, Gandalf, right? You shall not pass! That's effective prayer. That's effective work. And our culture likes to perpetuate these ideas in movies like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. No matter what you are doing or why, regardless of how evil it is, doesn't matter. You just grab a God object and you point it at the thing that you want out of your way and then God has no option but to blow it up. It's destroyed with divine wrath because you forced Him to do it. But you know what? God always works His will. We cannot align His will to ours, and part of the process of prayer is to align our will with His. That is part of the prayer experience and the formation that it awakens in us. God is not a divine object to be configured or to be manipulated. He is a divine being, a divine person. And you know who isn't? Me. You too. We are made in God's image, and God is not made in ours. 
When we seek to command and to control God, we are treating ourselves like God. We want to be the ones in charge. My will, not your will. But in our ongoing pursuit of Jesus, we seek to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves, and to trust Him with everything. Jesus first, everything else after. We model our practice after Jesus. Not my will, but yours, Father. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease and He must increase. So we can't ever, we don't ever control God. That can make us feel a little bit insecure. We say, but He's so powerful. How do I know that He will do what I want when I want it? And if He doesn't do what I want when I want it, well then, what will happen? With all that power, is He safe? Safe, no, but He is good. And we put our trust in a good God. You get into the habit of praying. There are going to be side effects, things that are going to happen because of it. I want to tell you a couple of those. First one, prayer will help us notice God everywhere. And in 1999, two cognitive psychologists, they conducted an experiment now widely called the Invisible Gorilla Test. They got people to watch a video of basketball team, and they were to count the number of times the players passed the ball. And partway through the video, a person in a gorilla suit walks through the team, pounding its chest as the players continue to pass the ball. About half of those watching the video were so focused on counting the passes, they never noticed the gorilla. And the study concluded that our minds are wired to see what we expect to see and miss what we do not intend to encounter. You see where this is going? Keep your eye on the ball while watching for the gorilla. That's your takeaway from today. You just hold on to that one. You take that one home with you. Keep that in your head. Keep your eye on the ball while watching for the gorilla. It's a life goal that you can have. Hashtag life goals. Spiritual kung fu is what it really becomes. Prayer trains us to see God where we might otherwise miss Him. Without it, in our busy uh, information overloaded culture, it's really easy to focus on everything other than God. And we could be so focused on, on, on work, so focused on the news, that crisis, this relationship. Is that another scandal? Or the 10,000 other reasons vying for our attention that we may go weeks, days, weeks, maybe even months without seeing God in our lives. And of course, that doesn't mean that He wasn't there. Like the gorilla, in the chaos, the swirl of confusion that our busyness brings, it is possible. It is easy, really. And we never take our eye off the ball. We never take our eye off the ball long enough to see Him. Prayer is a time to slow down, to refocus, and to notice God's presence. And a simple way to begin this, here's a really simple thing that you can do. It just works on so many levels that will benefit you. Review your calendar to bring, the mind, to bring to mind the events, um, the, the activities that you went through, do it at the end of the day. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal how He was present in each task, in each encounter, in each meeting. When were you aware of His presence? When were you not? Allow yourself to quiet your mind. Focus. Listen for His voice, His prompting. How might a particular activity or a meeting or that task 
How might that have gone differently if you had been aware of God being with you? And over time, this practice of reflection, daily examination, will help you be more aware of God's presence during the day and not simply at the close of it. Keep your eye on the ball while watching for the gorilla. Number two, prayer is also a discipline of self-awareness. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Six, and I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Seven, now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. Eight, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Nine, we are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. Ten, this is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I might not have to be harsh in the use of my authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Self-evaluation is a spiritual discipline. Third one, remembering is more than a mental exercise. This, I would like to help you just pause for a moment here. It's more than just mental to remember, to pull things back into your mind, to pull the context, to pull the history, to pull the relationship, to pull the partnership back into the moment. It's not just a word. It becomes an event. It awakens in you memory that God can speak to you again about how He was present to remind you how He is present and how He will be present. To put a number of these things together, I'm going to use one of the things that I've recommended that you use, a psalm. I'm not going to put the words up for you, so you just need to listen. Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become light, the night become the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Kind Father, may that be our prayer going forward today and tomorrow. Search us. Know us. Create in us a clean heart. Guide us as we seek to commune with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.